Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan discuss pitchers and catchers reporting for the 2023 Minnesota Twins baseball season. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. It has been a long, long offseason, Dan, but let me tell you, the NFL season comes to a close. Baseball season begins. F1 cars are being released, Dan. I am just, I'm a happy guy for a Monday. This is about as happy as I get. This is one benefit of the Super Bowl being basically played in mid-February now, right? Is that the next day the pitchers and catchers report? You know, David, we thought about calling an emergency podcast a couple times over the course of the offseason here, obviously with the Correa saga I'm glad we waited, though, David. I'm glad we waited. I am. You know, I've been a little busy, Dan. Uh, over the off season, we had a couple of things happen. I added a member to our family. You know, that that's keeping me busy, Dan. We should have just done a podcast that day, right? It was only <laughs> fitting, right? I believe at the birth of my last child, I was podcasting a couple hours later. If you're new to the show, folks, Dan's wife was in labor while we were recording a podcast last time. Uh, it was it was a really exciting. We were time not recording. I, we had just finally named the child. It was eight or nine hours since he'd been born. <laughs> Oh, if there's one thing you'll learn from this podcast, it's how to be a good husband. I think that's really that's really the primary takeaways here, Dan. Exactly. Well, so so here we are, David. It's been a few months uh, since I think since last we spoke, we were talking, we were wrapping up the 2022 season. And now here we are ready to talk about what looks like an exciting 2023 Twins roster. Yeah. So we'll have a couple of discussion topics for this particular episode. We'll talk about the offseason moves, obviously the signings, trades, an extension to talk about. We'll talk about whether the team still needs to add anything to uh, really be competitive in 2023 we'll talk a little bit about the current lineup and then there was an interesting interesting proposal for league realignment proposed by jim bowden at the athletic which if we get time uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as well normally we have a little bit more of a format uh but since there's no series to talk about yet normally we, we record an episode after every minnesota twins series so you'll get usually two episodes of men for the win every week uh but for now we're going to kind of have maybe one every week or two uh kind of as news dictates uh, but you know what, David, as we're looking at all of our other topics, there's so much to talk about. It's just one of those things, Dan, you and I both like to talk. Obviously, we have a podcast and it's just you start making these lists and you're like, I don't even know how we're going to fit this all in. I know. And you know what, David, since we haven't spoken in months, congratulations on the birth of your second child. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. It's It's been good. I sleep sometimes, Dan. Sometimes. Well, here we go. Let's go into these offseason moves. So there was a bit of a big one. Uh, Carlos Correa signed with the Twins, David, after quite the odyssey. It's one of those things, Dan. As a Minnesota fan, I think a lot of us went into the offseason really pessimistic, thinking there's no real chance that the Twins signed Correa. Especially, you know, after the whole shopping at your store and all that and twins, you know, the management tends to shop more Fleet Farm, right? Not quite, you know, they're not sure. really going all the way to the Mall of America. They like to stay in the suburbs, shop Fleet Farm, Menards, Home Depot, you know, that's more their, that's more their, their speed. But so when you find out that Correa signed with the Giants, yeah, you're super bummed. You want to know how much the twins offered. And then that falls through. And all of a sudden, Dan, there's just a little bit of light shining through that maybe there's a chance. But then he signed with the Mets. Like that was the other thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah, there was this hope. But then the more that this story has unraveled, the more you know, David, that like all people who have lived in Minnesota for any amount of time, it really hooked him. He really wanted to be in Minnesota, right? But you read the articles, right? The conversations that Byron Buxton was at. Dan Hayes at The Athletic, I swear he wrote 55 stories about this during January and February. It was insane. I don't understand exactly how we'll ever get a true answer, whether Correa really wanted to be here. Like, what I really want to know, if the Twins offered what the Giants offered, assuming all the ankle stuff is just pretend, right? And, like, none of that came to fruition. If the Twins offered the same contract that the Giants offered, would Correa have chosen Minnesota? We just won't know. And that's that's the great mystery of this man. So he does sign, I don't think we said the term, six years, 200 million with then some vested team options. So basically, if he hits certain plate appearance thresholds, then he guarantees the next year. And even if he doesn't hit those, the Twins can still pick them up. So he could be with the Twins for the next decade. It's pretty crazy to think about, like the last time, obviously, that the Twins signed someone of this magnitude, Josh Donaldson. But like even further than that, obviously, the Maurer contract is what comes to mind. Clearly, there's still some our haters out there and there's some guys there's still some our haters out there david (laughs) the other the guy on the other side of the microphone right now is the biggest mauer hater other than one i have one friend he knows who he is he's a listener and he hates Joe Maurer with every fiber of his being. But you, David, you're like number two. Come on. It, no, I, okay, I do not hate Joe Maurer. I just think that there are fans of his who perhaps put him in a light that he doesn't deserve to be placed in. But anyway, back to Correa. So yes, it was fascinating. It's really interesting. Yeah, like you said, when you read those articles about how the Mets used the same doctor that the Giants used, and like, it's just crazy that we're talking about a part of Correa that he hasn't experienced injury with outside of the initial injury that happened a decade ago in the minors. It's crazy. So that adds such intrigue to this because we we really just don't know. It seems like one of those injuries that, yo, yeah, maybe it could cause problems and maybe not. But I think the Twins got about as good of a deal out of this as they possibly could have. I went back, you know, we I've been listening to some old podcasts, David. I'm, I'm trying to get some research done to catch up to all this good work you've done here on the spreadsheet. And, uh, and you know, we were all kind of in that ballpark, kind of hoping that a six-year, seven-year deal right around that figure. Uh, again, I don't think this could have gone much better in the end, even though it was kind of terrifying and sad and all the emotions throughout the whole process. It's just shocking how one signing can make such a difference especially with baseball being such a team sport right like in the nba if you sign a guy the wins that that guy's going to add if he's if he's an all-star caliber player is very substantial and in baseball like i know we use war as a stat and whatnot but one guy can only do so much like let's look at mike trout right it's sort of the prime example of like there's only so much that guy can do to put the team on his back now that's for certain seasons obviously otani you have you have pujols you know there's there's obviously guys who have been productive for that franchise but that's what I'm saying. So for the Twins to sign Correa, it just seems like all of our thoughts about this upcoming season have changed from pessimism to optimism, right? It's one of those things, Dan, no longer is this glass half empty, it's half full. And the fact that Kyle Farmer doesn't have to be the primary shortstop on this team, I think, is a huge win. We should look. There were two other signings, though, David. So Joey Gallo signs for one year, $11 million. And I remember at the time of this signing, we were thinking, well... <laughs> okay, but with Correa's light shining down on Joey Gallo now, like that signing looks really good. It looks great. But yeah, at the time, we all thought the same thing. It's like the Twins made this move because they could. And it seemed like they just needed to do something because they have this really small payroll. They have to find some way to spend the money. You wouldn't expect it to be a left-handed hitting outfielder. Like that's not that's not number one on the priority list for this team. It's the weirdest thing. Um, And then they signed Christian Vasquez. 
a catcher who I believe he was even having dinner with Carlos Correa one of these times. Like it was just this very strange confluence, but he signs and then Correa hasn't yet. And it was just, again, without the Correa piece on top, it felt like an incomplete signing. But in retrospect, both of those, Vasquez and Gallo, look really good. Absolutely. Like, the Vasquez signing, clearly the catching position, something needed to be done. And because they didn't bring back Sandy Leone, which is hilarious to say that we were like, oh man, it would have been great if they brought Sandy Leone back. It's like, no, because they signed Vasquez, that catching situation is clarified. Again, it would have been better, I think, if it would have been a left-handed hitting catcher. But they'll make do. And clearly Vasquez is going to get more starts over Jeffers. It's just, it's just disappointing that they couldn't find a way to platoon it in such a way that you can go against righty and lefty pitchers. So it was no secret, too, at the end of last season, Dan, the more we watched teams run on the Twins, your heart just began to sink a little bit more to realize this team is really inept at the catching position defensively. And so Vasquez, who has one of the better arms in the majors, I think is really, really going to help this team solidify teams being more cautious when they run on the Twins. But at the same time, Dan, with the bases being now four feet wide, it won't be that difficult for them. I was just going to bring that up. I'm so excited. We, we can't talk about the rules. We're going to talk about the down the road but I, I do agree with you because when Sandy Leone was signed or traded for last year midseason that was legitimately one of the things we were excited about because teams were running rampant against these twins catchers who just couldn't throw anybody out so we cannot understate the importance defensively also of Vasquez Correa and, and Gallo because they're all excellent defenders and I think that matters a lot too yes so we do have a little bit of a bet going as far as Joey Gallo is concerned because Dan was pretty convinced that Gallo would see significant playing time in center field and I said that I would buy beers at the next game if Gallo started in center field which I still contend Dan isn't going to happen this but season. you we made that bet pre Michael Taylor <laughs> trade so you cannot just throw that at me like this was it that was a legitimate thought when there was no other backup center fielder aside from Nick Gordon so you uh, hey just because the landscape changes I don't think that that means you can alter the betting terms I think it do, of course it does especially after like they literally no. signed a backup center fielder now when they print your ticket Dan you don't get to go back to the window and say, oh, my horse died on the way to the starting line. Oh, my gosh. The important thing is that I don't think that bet still holds. Okay, so Gallo will not be starting in center field. I don't think so. Me. I think I'm going to renege on that. I'll just buy you the beer and call it good. Uh <laughs> Well, then you might as well keep the bet open if you're going to buy me a beer. <laughs> Maybe anyway, I'll, I'll keep the case, bet. I'll Dan. keep the bet. That'll be fun because baseball, you never know what's going to happen. It could totally happen. So so just to circle back to Correa, a quick note. So he is sitting out of the World Baseball Classic. Originally, he was going to play for Puerto Rico, but then he decided to sit. And it's not because of health reasons, which honestly, when I first saw the news, that's what I thought it was. But actually, his wife is very close uh, to going into labor. So he wants to be there for his family. Uh, totally understand that, especially as someone who just went through that. I don't think my wife would be thrilled if I'm like, hey, I'm going to go play golf for a few days in Hawaii hopefully this uh hopefully this baby doesn't come while I'm away that is that is a reasonable assumption good on Carlos there for staying home so let's go through the trades uh and the twins have been busy on this front as well obviously some a little bit more impactful than others real quick the two trades that have less of an impact on the team this season I would say at least from uh from the acquired positions so we traded Jimenez to get Alexi who's a left-handed pitcher um and then the the one that I I'm going to call a minor trade but one that I'm still a little bit sad about Gio Urshela was dumped for a right-handed pitcher Alejandro Hidalgo I uh, was only 19 really young guy not really sure what we have in him yet and clearly this was seen as a salary dump right like when this move was made, some guys were saying, oh, well, this was clearly, this team got better 
by this dump here. And I, I disagreed at the time, and I actually still disagree now, Dan. I think you could have found a spot for Urshela on this team, especially seeing that our corner infield spots are not like as cemented in as we'd like it to be. So Farmer is covering shortstop and third base. First base, you have Kirilov sort of penciled in there. But that's only as long as his wrist holds up. And then you have Gallo playing there, who hasn't actually played there in a few seasons. Guys are like, oh, it's first base. He'll figure it out. But like having a guy who naturally can play those infield positions, wouldn't you always rather have that than someone who's just sort of learning on the fly? Yeah, but then you'd have to give up Nick Gordon. And I don't love doing that because he's he's your super position flexible guy. He's like the turtle. Williams Estudio, but with talent. So I think I think there's that. I, I do think that if Urshela were still on this team, they would not have signed Michael Taylor to play outfield. I think they would have reserved that spot and then just had Nick Gordon. And, and again, my bet about Joey Gallo would have held. Yes, that is that is very possible. And like I did put Nick Gordon up there as sort of the comparison because last season, Urshela was just a more valuable player than Nick Gordon was. Now, clearly, Nick Gordon is still young. He's only 27. He's sort of entering his prime now. And it was interesting in Correa's welcoming press conference, Nick Gordon was one of the guys he mentioned that sort of make up the core of this roster, which I guess for me, Nick Gordon definitely showed that he is capable and he, he likely is deserving of a full-time starting position. Maybe not on this team but somewhere in the majors but so it was interesting to me because i don't really think of gordon as like oh let's look at the core of this lineup well clearly nick gordon is in the core here but isn't he i mean like he kind of made his way into the core last year just by happenstance and by good play. well yeah and I by mean, necessity though not like like you're well, not telling that. me <laughs> that rocco rocco didn't go to the go fill in his lineup card and like well we got to make sure nick's in the lineup also that's, that's not how that's how rocco sounds by the way <laughs> it's a very <laughs> gruff rocco there <laughs> Um, well, let's, can we talk a bit more about the other moves here? Uh, yeah, yeah, we should. Uh, so obviously Kyle Farmer, uh, bringing brought in, uh, for, for Legumina. I'm not going to pretend like I know who these minor league guys are who are still coming up in the system. Like we just don't have the time for that, Dan. We got, we got families, we got work, you know, but as far as Farmer coming in was interesting. And you had sort of alluded to this earlier that without the Correa signing, Kyle Farmer was our starting shortstop. And nobody was excited about that, Dan. You're right. We didn't want Kyle Farmer starting at shortstop, and, and he won't be. And even then, you know, we again, Royce Lewis isn't going to be ready. He may not even be a shortstop anymore. Uh, well, he can't play behind Correa. So I don't know. It, there's so many interesting pieces to this that are so different than they were last year. Yeah, It, it is funny how the conversation has really shifted away from the guys coming up in the minors who are kind of banging on the door to get up to the major league level because Correa got signed. All of a sudden, this glut of shortstop prospects that the Twins have stashed at double and triple A, the path to the majors, all of a sudden they're starting like, you know what, I think I want to try second a little bit. Can I uh, Can I play a little second base, please? Which you got to feel bad for Jorge Polanco in some sense. Like People are just basically deciding that he's not going to be with his team too much longer, which is a little sad. I know that that's part of baseball and that's how things go, but they're going to have to put some of these young guys somewhere. I suppose. But Polanco signed through 25. Like it's not like he's going anywhere real soon, unless the he gets offloaded through a trade, which I which is definitely possible. But I do think that Polanco has been a key guy, and he's one of those guys that remember when they signed Kepler and Sano and Polanco to sort of those longer term team friendly extensions. Clearly, one of those contracts. Some would argue two of those contracts haven't panned out for them. But Polanco. The deal that he's on, I think the Twins would have to get a haul for him to move him even this year and maybe even next year, depending sort of on the outlook of the season, obviously. Speaking of getting a haul, Luis Rise was traded, David, and we were very mixed about this. My heart said no, but the numbers and the return, I thought David was pretty good. Yeah, obviously Lopez is the is the sort of marquee 
piece of this trade. And then they threw a couple of guys in who they're not just guys. And I think Aaron Gleeman at The Athletic pointed this out that like sometimes you see these minor league names and you just think, oh, who are these guys? But then you realize when they're coming in and they're one of these guys, Salas, uh, is actually listed in the top. 10 prospects that the twins have now some in the top five depending who you're looking at and it's amazing that like they got pablo lopez and salas and then this other guy who's sort of like churio i don't know exactly how to say his name when you're only reading names dan it's hard to get the names right when you've never heard them in real life it's better than last year when the twins had kaiser falefa for about uh or kiner <laughs> falefa i've forgotten already so you can't for like even say it now. hours oh my gosh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for this this move, I was honestly, I, I was more upset about the Geo trade, but I was much more sad about the Arise trade. And it feels weird, David, to be trading like Terry Francona's MVP pick Hall of Famer. Like, I don't I don't get that. You, he did win a batting title last year, Dan. I don't know if you were following that story. Well, I was following that too. He, he held off Aaron Judge, uh, who's a fan of the podcast, or at least yeah. I'm a fan <laughs> of him. Um, any other deals? I guess we should talk about Chris Paddock, which... Let me tell you, David, if I could blow out my arm and still get a three-year, $12.5 million deal, it is so baffling to me. I understand why they made it. It's a it's a good investment, I guess, but like, it's not quite the Randy Dobnak deal because I think they're going to be paying Randy Dobnak, you know... <laughs> For like it's, I mean, it's a number of years still. But like, I don't know. What do you make of this Paddock signing? Yeah, I, I think it's wise. It makes some sense because Paddock is a guy who I guess the Twins have had interest in for quite some time. And so to lock him up, knowing that he's coming off of injury, you don't really know what you have in him when he's fully recovered. I don't think it's a terrible move. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of risk here on the money side. But Dan, with, with baseball, with no salary cap, it's one of those things where it's just money, right? It's not like you're giving away prospects to sign him. This reminds me of the Pineda signing. Right when you signed Pineda, knowing he wasn't going to pitch the first year, same idea here. That's actually that's a very fair comparison. And Pineda ended up being a pretty good pitcher for the Twins, and then he went on to the Tigers. So I don't mind it, especially because there are so many unknowns in the way that this Twins front office constructs starting rotations. Like it's very year to year. So to have a guy who's kind of ready a couple years down the road, I guess, is a good investment. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense, especially seeing that Maeda's gone after this year, Gray's gone after this year, Malley's gone after this year. Like your rotation is in dire straits here next season Dan unless I, I mean you'll still have Joe Ryan you'll still have Bailey Ober you'll still have Lopez through 2024 but there next season Dan there, there's going to be some some holes to fill on the rotation well I think we need to look at those holes now so there's a couple things that we think this team still needs and still could fill though I I hesitate after the first one here David I don't know where you're going to put them yes that's that's really the big question so real quick let's just run through who who we would consider at this point locks to make the team um and there, there's still maybe a couple of question marks here but for the most part going into spring training it's not like there's a big discussion to be had here dan we're talking about literally the last roster spot because nearly every other roster spot is cemented in right so we've got buxton playing center correa at short miranda at third gallo and left kirilov probably at first polanco at second Farmer or somebody at DH or, you know, some position there. Uh, Kepler in right field, Vasquez at catcher. And then on the bench, you've got Jeffers, Gordon, Taylor, Larnock. And again, Farmer could kind of be on the bench too, depending on, on who's playing at any given day. Yeah. And then as far as the rotation is concerned, this is where it does get a little bit interesting. You have Gray, Ryan, Malley, Meda, and then Lopez. And then so Ober is kind of the odd man out. So I think you put him at AAA unless you try and keep him as the long relief guy. But right now, if they want a five man rotation, those are 
are definitely the five guys. And we were talking about a four-man rotation at this time last year before they signed Chris Archer. I got to say, I'm, a, I'm feeling a lot better <laughs> right now than I felt about the rotation. Uh, maybe we yes. shouldn't have even been excited about Archer being signed in, in retrospect. Uh, no, we should. Well, it depends who, which host you're <laughs> listening to because there was a bit of disagreement on the podcast last season, Dan, about Chris Archer's value to this team. You know, when you can play four innings, you have some value. David, that's all, I guess. I think Gleeman's article, that was my favorite. It was like three days oh, that after was such we had a this good big article. Discussion. It really pilloried my whole stance. <laughs> uh. um, anyway, and then when we get to relievers, this is where I say that the team is still a bit shaky because when it comes to the rotation, you're counting on guys to, one, be healthy and to come back from injury. Like, so it's not only do you want them to not get injured, you want them to be back to health, right? It's like, it's like a little bit less than just don't get injured. It's don't get injured and I hope you recovered in the offseason. But when it comes to the relievers, it's less about health and it's much more about effectiveness. So you have Lopez who struggled mightily after he got traded to the Twins from the Orioles. You have Thielbar who had a decent season. Then Jax, Duran, obviously the breakout from this group. And I would assume that he'll get the ninth inning this season but who knows it'll be interesting between him and Lopez how that shakes out then Alcala is coming back finally from injury McGill Moran and then every Twins fans favorite Emilio Pagan back on this roster Dan stunning he has such great stuff is what they keep telling us but is it great stuff if the other guys hit it all the time like baffling to me that Emilio Pagan has value but apparently he has value his stats were historically bad like as far as like home runs given up it was like every eighth pitch he gave up a home run last season Dan and and you figure they also had Tyler Duffy on this team for a while what makes Duffy less good than Emilio Pagan I <laughs> it's the, it's the same Dan well, and so Michael Fulmer, who was traded for by this Twins regime late last season, Fulmer ended up signing with the Cubs, though this is as of a couple of days ago, um, it was pending a physical. So we, we, we don't know for sure. Mike, maybe, he, maybe this is all, again, part of the grand scheme. It could be. I mean, that Falvey-Levine tandem, Dan, they figure the Cubs, they'll fail him for his physical with the Cubs. He'll go to the Mets because Cohen will just have some more money to spend. And then he'll end up with the Twins on a much more team-friendly deal. But you never know. There are always relievers out there. And again, sometimes you just don't know what you have. They could trade for one. They could sign one. But we do agree, I think, uh, that that's a spot they could still add. I think if they were going to add one thing, seeing as I just don't see a way via trade or obviously via free agency, it's, it's off the table. But there isn't an A1 starter remaining. And there's not there's not really a reliever on the market worth signing that's an upgrade. I guess anybody is really an upgrade over Pagan at this point i hope i hope dan that we eat our words i hope that pagan has like a 1.4 era up and through the all-star break and he has just blown our minds i just don't see that happening but anyway i would take a, an a1 starter i don't see that being the case so at this point if the twins do make a move i do hope it's for relief help and you talk about maybe adding you know a, a, another dh another another batter maybe in the outfield i just i just don't see where a person like that would fit that's the problem right like it was one of those things i sort of hoped that they found a way to bring nelson and Cruz back but that was just apparently wasn't in the cards but I do see a spot for a big bat sort of an older mentor type player outside of just Correa sort of leading that charge but I again like you said the hard part is now there's just no room I think and, and maybe this gets to our next discussion about outfield um, because there's so many outfielders on this team who who could play but you just don't know with injuries and you can't really solve injuries with a veteran that you're going to sign to the 40 man either right that's where the depth of this position group at AAA is just going to have to to, to come in, I think, for this team. With the outfield position, the way that it is currently, 
it's great that we have a solid backup for Buxton. And he can DH. I mean, yes, Buxton is very valuable in the field. Clearly the the most valuable center fielder in the field when it comes to almost all of baseball. Trout obviously is in the discussion or probably leading the charge if we're honest with ourselves. So having Taylor to be able to play center field, not as dynamically as Buxton, but pretty dang close as far as when you're looking throughout the league. So to give Buxton a lot more DH days and not feel like it's just this huge downgrade at center field, that, Dan, that may be the biggest boon of the offseason outside of of Korea, obviously. And I wonder how they're going to handle Buxton earlier in the year then, because it will it mean that he's just, he's only going to play center three days a week or something like that uh, when you have Taylor there as an option. My other question though, I'm not convinced that Alex Kirilov is just going to be right at first base. And I think that that's, you know, again, they, they literally took out part of his bone to try to keep it from rubbing against another part of his body. Like that seems weird and unprecedented to me. And I'm just, so if, if I have any question mark really right now with this lineup, it's at first base. If Kirloff can really be the answer there. I think they want him to be because he's, he's been a guy who they really hung their hat on for so long that he's been a touted prospect. Clearly he's had success at the major league level when he's been healthy, but that's just the question. Can he stay healthy? And I guess after watching this team play baseball last year, that's really just the biggest question. Can they stay healthy all season because I again I look at that roster I look at this rotation I think this is a team that can win the division I wouldn't debate that at all no so this was a question I posed to both you and Hogue so I'm curious uh, Andrew Hogue's Hoganson is a third chair he comes in uh, for special episodes and he fills in when either Dan or myself are, are, are unavailable for the podcast the question is Dan if you could have a full season of health from either Correa or Buxton whose season would you like I want Buxton because he's got a higher ceiling, but I always want Buxton. I named yes. a cat after Byron Buxton. In fact, we considered getting a second cat and naming it Carlos Correa after that wow. signing, David. I was ready. We live very different lives, Dan. <laughs> I don't even like cats, but I like Carlos Correa that much. You could just get a poster, Dan. You don't have to get a living thing. <laughs> like that's not really that. That feels like a, a bit too far, I guess. We do have we have at least a dozen chickens, right? So I could just be naming them after the twins, but then it feels very. That should be like the Kyle Garlics of the world. It'd be weird eating eggs from Carlos Correa, Dan. <laughs> but maybe not Kyle Farmer. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> man. What else? Uh, what else do you want to talk about here, Kufus? Well, so I think to close out, I, let, let's talk about this Bowden realignment proposal because this is fascinating. Um, and I just think that as baseball fans, when a realignment happens, it takes a significant amount of time to get used to it. Like I still have trouble calling the Cleveland team the Guardians, right? And like, and like that's been that's been in place for a while now. But like prior to the last real large realignment for major league baseball true fans we know our divisions inside and out you know which teams are in which division so whenever we talk about these big realignments it's just like well no that can't be and it's not there's no logic for why it can't be that it's just your mind is so set in stone that like the cubs and the white Sox in one division no that's that's that's, that's blasphemy what is this well, in the way that the interleague barrier has finally be like fully torn down from, you know, Bud Selig started that. I mean, that was almost 30 years ago, David, when interleague was started. You're right about like how, how long it takes baseball to make changes. But the more that you tear down those walls and basically say everybody's going to play everybody every year, well, then the divisions do matter a little bit less. Now, I do like the idea of divisions. I like the rivalries being, you know, amplified in that way. But I'm so excited that they're going to play everybody. So can you break down a little bit here about, about what these divisions are and, and how they're going to split this up but again this is just a proposal this is not going to happen 
for sure anytime soon. Yeah, quick note before we jump into what this this realignment proposal would look like. Filling out my schedule this season, Dan, for which games I want to attend was way more difficult than it has been in previous seasons because you have so many guys coming to town who you haven't seen before. And so I'm so, so excited for some of these games. A lot of them are day games. So I can take a half day at work and there's nothing better, Dan, than a, twi- than a half day of work and a Twins game. It's the best. It is the best. Oh, man. I wish I could join you. Okay. Well, let's let's go through this realignment proposal and get some people's thoughts here. If you want to throw a comment to us on Twitter, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. So we'll start with the Eastern Conference, and we'll start with the East Division, because I think this is the one that's sort of the most mind-bending when you think about if this was just one division in baseball. So the East Division and the Eastern Conference, Bowden has listed as the Red Sox, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Phillies. Yeah. First of all, just mashing up the divisions from two different leagues, you said East Eastern Conference, David. That's not even National League and American League, first of all. No, no. And I would hope that they would keep that. Like, if there is a realignment happening in the, in the whatever, distant future, I hope they keep the American and the National League. And I got to say, Dan, growing up, I always thought, well, National just sounds better than American. So I was like always so disappointed. Oh, the Twins are an AL team. That, that's too bad. I like the way National sounds better. Well, here, let me run through a couple here more uh, so we can get all the names out there. So there's a North Division with the Reds, Guardians, Tigers, Blue Jays, a mid-Atlantic division with the Orioles, the Charlotte expansion team is what he predicted, the Pirates and the Nationals, and then the Southeast division with the Braves, Marlins, a Nashville expansion team, and the Rays. Now, a Nashville team, I think, could succeed because you got enough baseball fans around there. The other thing I, li- I do like about the expansion, and this is maybe another conversation too, but you know, there's a lot of minor league teams that folded a few years ago when Major League Baseball consolidated it. And there's a lot of teams out there or a lot of towns that would love to have some minor league ball. Now, I know we'd only be talking about you know a couple handfuls at this point, but I think that's, that's pretty significant too. Yeah, well, so let's look at the Western Conference, Dan. We're not talking about hockey, folks. This is a, again, a Jim Bowden uh, realignment proposal at The Athletic. So the Midwest division, obviously the one that we would care about the most as Twins fans, would be the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Minnesota Twins. I kind of like that, bringing back the Brewers and Twins, playing more. I always feel like it's it's hard to get to those. Well, obviously I don't live in the state anymore, but just getting to those two-game series, wouldn't it be great if there was two full series against the Brewers every year? I'm actually going to take the opposite take here. Because here's the thing, Dan. Vikings and Packer fans really don't like each other. Like, I have seen a Viking jersey and a Packer jersey hitting each other on more than one occasion. And, like, that just seems like, let's be adults here, first that's of all. That's just when but- Hoax fills in for me on the podcast, <laughs> David. Yeah, yes, that, that's part of it. But the thing is, if you go as a Twins fan in Milwaukee, nobody's going to be throwing a punch at you, right? Like, it's a much more friendly rivalry. And so I feel like that would dissipate very, very quickly because I think it would turn very much into a Packers-Vikings rivalry. Maybe. I don't know. It's baseball. David, there's no punching in baseball. That's not the quote, Dan. All right, what, all right, crying, punching, whatever it is. I do like I like having the Cubs and the White Sox in there. Uh, obviously, Chicago fans, I think, I think would enjoy it, but maybe they'd have the same qualms and quibbles. Yeah, and so then we have the Southwest Division, the Astros, the Royals, the Cardinals, and the Rangers. And then let me round it out. The Pacific Coast Division would be Colorado, Oakland slash Las Vegas Athletics, which I think is interesting, uh, the Mariners and the Giants. And then the West Division would be the Diamondbacks, the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Padres, three of which are on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so I don't totally understand the distinction there. What do you think of those? Yeah, I think the West Division obviously would be the one that would be the most interesting because you have the Angels, Dodgers, and Padres, and all three of those teams obviously have have 
championship intentions. I mean, all teams do, but like those three teams legitimately, especially if the Angels make a couple more moves, they could be real contenders. One thing that, and again, this is my West Coast bias coming through. I would love to see a team in Portland. And so I would I would take out the Charlotte expansion team. I know that that would throw things off a little bit. You'd have to move Colorado, you know, maybe into the Southwest, which would then bump, well, maybe mercifully the Royals uh, or, you know, the Cardinals into a different division there too. I think there's ways to, to make it happen because um, I don't love that. I, I, I do think that a city like Portland, uh, and I know Charlotte, I'm sure Charlotte would be great, but I, I want more baseball out here. I want more chances to see the Twins play. Well, yeah, that's there is a little bit of bias there, clearly. But I- Quite I do think this is a fun proposal to look at. But again, for me, I just I like the way things are now. Like, obviously, I changed the way the postseason is constructed as much as I hated to admit how fun it was to watch it the postseason last it season. It was fun. That's the problem. Like, I, I, it's hard to really argue. Like, you're like, man, this just doesn't feel right. But why do I like watching it so much? It's so fun. Well, we have to think about, too, the geographics of this. Teams travel a lot. Away. I mean, again, West Coast by but the Mariners have to fly a lot farther than other teams there was an article on the athletic about that too i think it was jason stark um so there's some merit to competitive balance that i think is impacted when you've got to travel so much more than other teams so at least if you can kind of tie these geographics together i, I think that that is a good thing uh for baseball teams well dan i think that it's going to wrap us up for this particular episode we've gone on for a long time i think it's just we haven't talked about baseball in so long dan and there's so much more to say. We've got a ton of rules to talk about. We've got Joe Maurer topics, Buxton, coaching staff, training staff. There's so much more here, David. We'll have to save for another episode. Yeah. So I do want to say um, a couple of changes this season that we're, that we're making as a podcast. Um, so there will be um, probably a little bit more Andrew Hogues Hoganson filling in just with sort of life circumstances. Uh, so prepare yourselves for that. But we really appreciate when, when Hogues can fill in. He does such a great job and it, it gives consistency to you folks, the listeners. And again, we thank you so much for for giving us the time uh, to listen to the podcast along those lines we did start a patreon page so if you're not familiar with patreon it just basically gives folks an outlet to support the show we don't we don't currently we have our our, our sole sponsor uh the grand group of the dyna realty they provide a lot of our hosting fees which is great but if you want to support the support the podcast and there are some some little rewards and stuff that you can get for supporting the show. We're never going to put anything behind a paywall. Like this is always going to be free. But if you do want to so show a little bit of support, you can feel free to find our Patreon. Uh, it's just uh, patreon.com slash men for the win. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you have questions about that, obviously you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or whatnot. Uh, but again, the best thing you can do for this show though, truly is, is tell a friend, send a link to a buddy who's a twins fan that, you know, just to get the spread the word. David, you make it sound like we're going on lavish vacations together, uh, <laughs> traveling to Twins game. That's not what the funding goes for. Um, there's just a lot of things kind of, you know, behind the scenes paying for, uh, you know, services and things like that to, to get the podcast up and running on YouTube and other places like that. So, um, yeah, we, we do appreciate that. And uh, I guess with, with that, David, you want to you want to send us out? I will, Dan. Thanks so much. It, it feels so weird, Dan, to be back in the chair, but I am loving it. It's fun to be so optimistic about an upcoming Twins season. Absolutely. 95 wins. World Series. Here we come. Well, folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Men for the Win and find our Men for the Win Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube so that you'll be notified when new episodes are available. And if you leave us a rating or a like, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, you can find us on Patreon. Thanks for listening, and as always, go Twins! That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins!